Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of the Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. Welcome back to Great Lakes Confidential with your host Angie and Marty. What's up, Marty? Hey, Angie. How's it going? Pretty good, baby. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Fantastic. It is Labor Day weekend in the Great Lakes state. Mm-hmm. Big plans for us, which I can't really mention them just on the off chance that my little one hears the episode before we go mm-hmm. to the thing, but we have a really big surprise planned for my youngest son for Saturday night. We'll talk about that next time. Super excited about. And then on Sunday, we are heading to New Buffalo. New Buffalo, crossing the state. Yeah. So, on the, uh, the Great Lakes Confidential Tour 2022. One of my coworkers was like, What are your big plans this weekend? And I told him, and he was like, What is in New Buffalo? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, then why are you going there? And I was like, that's just why? what we do. I why said, are we going? I said, we just pick a place and we go and find out what's there when we get there. I'll tell you why we're going. Velveeta Burgers at Redimac. Well, he was looking up, because um, he was very interested in what's in New Buffalo. And so he started Googling it, and he was like, well, there's some breweries down there. And I said, well, I don't really drink, but you know, breweries usually have pretty good food. Do they brew root beer? I don't know. I'm into it. Yeah. A little cream soda. So I just think it was funny because he was like, why are you going there? And I'm like, I don't know, just because we're going there. And he's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, we'll figure it out when we get there. And he was so... In in Lake Michigan. Yeah. He was just so like, you don't have a plan. And I'm like... We're hippies, man. We do what we want. I just... We're actually hitchhiking there too. So if you're headed that way, (laughs) if you're headed west this weekend, look for us along 94. Um, Yeah. My boss, same story. Asked me what I was doing. I'm like, we're going to New Buffalo. She was like, where's that? I'm like, exit two. <laughs> it's all the way down there. It's exit two. Yeah. Yeah. People, um, they just don't understand. And that's mm-hmm. fine. It's cool. Whatever. It's so, like we're vampires and we're not allowed to leave the state, but that's as close as we can get to Chicago. Yeah. I guess so. Without disintegrating in the sunlight. Yep. So those are our plans this weekend. What? Hmm. Did uh, you just hear that? Yeah. Why is she talking to us? What was that? That was Alexa. Oh, geez. Alexa, shut up. (laughs) Alexa, pipe down. We're recording. Hey, hey, pipe down. You know why? Because they record us at all times. I knew we shouldn't have brought that unit into the home. (laughs) All right. So anyways, it's Labor Day weekend. We've got plans. I'm sure a lot of you have plans, too. 
and you can tell us about it on Facebook. I'd love to hear what you're doing, what you've done. Alexa, Alexa, what are you doing for Labor Day? Oh, she's got jokes, well, she said. Yeah, knock yourself out. <laughs> All right. So, anyways. Forget the jokes, <laughs> just get the mail. All right, so moving on. We, as always, start the show with County Roots. Um, we are on the letter I. So, one, two, three, four. There's five counties in the state of Michigan that start with the letter I. The five I's. I can name three of them. Do it. Uh, Ingham, Iosco. And Eaton. Eaton business. I know. I'm just kidding. Go on. Oh, my God. It's like doing a show with a toddler sometimes. I know. All right. I know. The you first one me too. is... Eating grumpy. Mm, that was too much He's going to let me sit like this the whole show? Outrageous. Oh, my God. All right. Ingham County. Ingham County was named for Pennsylvania-born Samuel D. Ingham, who was Treasury Secretary under President Andrew Jackson, making the county in which our state capital resides another cabinet county. Boo, we need a rename. That's uh, fine. I mean, what, do you, what, what would you name it if you could rename it? I don't know, like Milliken County? I don't even know. Was Governor Milliken good? I don't even know. I'm yeah. just trying to think of... We should just keep up. Yeah, George Romney County. Who's a famous governor from... Michigan that's been gone long enough that people aren't angry about. That's who we should name it after. Can you just rename counties like after they've been? Yeah, I don't see why you can't. I think we should be able to rename everything every 25 years. No, that's too that's that's too much. I mean, because then, you know, all this dirt comes out on people and people get upset. And, you know, like, look at the whole Lewis Cass situation. People are mad about, you know, places named Cass County, Cass City, Cass Lake, because Lewis Cass was a slave owner. I mean... A lot of people were slave owners. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a conversation for a different show. Yeah. Let's carry it. All right. Ionia County, located just west of Michigan State Capitol, Ionia County was named at a time when classical revival style, style was trendy, and so Michigan's landlocked Ionia wound up named for an ancient Greek seaside province. Fantastic. Also home of the Ionic Column. <clears throat> What's that? It's a column that the Greeks invented. Oh. Holds up buildings and stuff. Oh, you see, okay. you got two types of columns. There's your Doric columns and your Ionic columns, right? Your Doric columns, I believe, are the ones that are completely like smooth, and the Ionic ones kind of, you know, are ripped. They have ridges on them. Yeah, ridges. Oh, not ribs. All right, ridges. Yes, ribs are more of a flying buttress thing. <laughs> Anyways. That's my art history degree in action. Okay. Iosco County. Iosco County sits on Tawas Bay, north of Saginaw. It was originally named Canatin, K-A-N-O-T-I-N, Canatin, after an Ottawa chief. But in 1843, it was given one of the pseudo-Native American names coined by Schoolcraft. This one supposedly meant water of light. Okay, Schoolcraft. Iron County, located in the western upper peninsula, Iron County gets its name from... Iron Mountain. Iron ore deposits that led to this region's rich mining history. Oh my, is Iron Mountain even in Iron County? Iron County, Dickinson County, Gogebic County, I don't know. One of those counties over there. Hmm. I don't know. Isabella County. Isabella County, home of the Saginaw Chippewa Tribal Nation, was named for Isabella I of Castile, who lived in the late 15th century and whose marriage provided the political foundation for the eventual unification of Spain. 
The name of Isabella County was supposedly suggested by Henry Schoolcraft. Schoolcraft. So that's What a it. man. I like this Henry Schoolcraft. He had a lot to Michigan, a lot of flavor to Michigan. Yeah, he had a lot going on. I mean, he kind of made some stuff up, but still, you know, that's that's the fun of the man. Yeah. So next uh, next show, we'll move on to the letter J. How many, how many, um, I don't know the answer to this, but how many counties do you think are named J? J's. I can't even, Jackson County. That's about it. You think that's it? I don't know. It might be. Yeah, I can't think of another, but there's... Like 80 counties or so? 81, I think, is what we started with. All right. So for Christmas last year, my oldest son and his girlfriend got me a book called Michigan Off the Beaten Path, and it's by Jackie Sheckler Finch. It's a travel guide, um, and it's got like just like a bunch of different places to visit, but it's also set up in this way where it's got like fun facts and interesting stories about the state and mm-hmm. like little sidebars and stuff like that. Of course, they were standing in a cracker barrel when they found it mm-hmm. and immediately were like, oh my gosh, mom needs this book. I think you and I can both be shopped for in a cracker barrel gift I... store. That's <laughs> yes. Basically, a gift shop of any type is well, if you so, ever want to get us a present, just pick up something at a gift shop. Well, for so, me, a rubber magnet. Preferably. Yeah. So can Jordan and Savannah because they love uh, board games and yeah. just like random stuff. Knickknacks. And so, yeah. Like, Wooden toys. The cracker barrel is the place. So, yeah. one of the first things that I bookmarked in the book was about Thomas Edison. Mm hmm. T.E., as his friends called him. I I don't think that's true. I never knew that he was a resident of Michigan. He was for a little bit. He lived in Greenfield Village. Yeah. He he did not live in Greenfield Village. His workshop's there. <sighs> his workshop and his last breath are there. He didn't take his last breath there. Yeah, he, no, but uh, Henry Ford bottled it and put it there. Anyways, did you know that he really didn't like it here in Michigan? No, you know what? It's not for everybody, Mr. Edison. Well, when he was 30 and living in New Jersey, he wrote to his father saying, quote, I do not think that any living human being will ever see me there again. I don't want you to stay in that hole of a Port Huron, which contains the most despicable remnants of the human race that can be found on Earth. Yikes. Boo-hoo, Thomas Edison, (laughs) you elephant killer, you. All right. We discussed that earlier on a show, I believe. Yeah, I think so. So all of today's information came from the book I mentioned, as Mm -hmm. well as Wikipedia, Biography.com, NPS.gov, and TheHenryFord.org. Interestingly enough, there are stories that I got on Mm Biography.com, both the same website, but different pages with very different information. Mm. So I don't know. So Thomas Edison was born on February 11th, 1847 in Milan, Ohio to Samuel Ogden Edison Jr. and Nancy Matthews Elliott. He was the seventh and last child of the couple. Thomas Edison's father was an exiled political activist from Canada and his mother at one point was a school teacher. In 1854, Edison and his family moved to Port Huron, Michigan. He only attended school for about 12 weeks as his teacher considered him to be hyperactive and, quote, difficult. Mm. Edison's mother began teaching him at home. She taught him reading, writing, and arithmetic. And as a child, he was extremely curious. And once he learned to read, he basically began teaching himself everything he could by reading anything he could get his hands on. 
At the age of 12, two pretty significant things happened in Thomas's life. The year was 1859, and the Grand Trunk Railroad had built a stop in Port Huron. Thomas convinced his parents to let him get a job on the railroad selling candy and newspapers between Port Huron and Detroit. During his spare time, he would get lost in books in the Detroit Library. This pastime led him to begin his own newspaper, the Grand Trunk Herald, which he also sold on the train. This was also where his entrepreneurial ventures began. Very interesting. That's pretty cool. Amazing times, too. Different times. You just let your kid ride the train from Port Huron to Detroit. At the age of 12? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, there's no way I would let my 12-year-old just hop on a train and take off. The other significant event to take place during this time involved an experience which may have led to his hearing loss. Edison had set up a small lab in a baggage car on the train where he could conduct small experiments. One such experiment ended in a chemical fire. The conductor came into the baggage car and kicked him in the side of the head. He was also kicked off the train and lost his job, though I don't think that's such a bad thing. If your I boss mean, the dude's had a chemical fire. assaulting not, you. Right. Yeah, kicked him in the side of the head. His hearing loss was also been attributed to scarlet fever. So I'm, I'm assuming it was probably a combination of the two things, but... There's Probably not. the scarlet fever, but you couldn't sue for that. Yeah. Anyway, sometime between the age of 12 and 15, a pretty crazy thing happened that probably changed Thomas's life in ways you could not imagine. I say between 12 and 15 because one version of the story made it sound like it happened at the age of 12, and then another specifically says it happened when he was 15. Other details in the story are slightly different between the two sites I read, but the basic gist is the same. So at one point, Thomas was standing outside the train station in Mount Clemens when the station master and telegraph officer, James McKenzie's son, was playing on the tracks. The boy was about two or three years old at the time. Freight cars were being transferred to a sidetrack, and one was traveling at a pretty high rate of speed, heading straight for the station master's son. Oh my. Thomas sprang into action, grabbing the boy off the tracks and saving his life. Both received minor wounds, but they were alive. James McKenzie was indebted to Thomas and so offered to teach him how to use the telegraph system developed by Samuel Morse. Thomas spent all of his free time practicing with the machine and with a few months was proficient in the Morse system. He was still quite young at this point, but was able to secure a position as a full-time telegraph operator. Hmm. He traveled the Midwest working for the Western Union Telegraph Company for about six years. He worked with news organizations where he would become friends with reporters who would eventually help him to further his career. During his downtime, much like as a child, Thomas worked on experiments, this time mostly centering around electricity. I feel like the world rewarded uh, prodigies more back in the day. You know, you could just do that. Drop out of school at 15, travel around America as a Morse code operator. Well, times were... People probably called him Mr. Edison. Really different then. Mm -hmm. So in 1868, he received his first patent for a machine that electronically recorded votes in the Massachusetts state legislature. I guess Washington wasn't interested in something like this, so this invention was considered to be a failure. He eventually did quit his job as a telegraph operator and began working full-time on his inventions. So remember the little boy that he saved when he was a teenager? Mm Mm-hmm. That situation helped Thomas develop a quadruplex system, allowing four separate signals to be sent down a single telegraph line. Railroad tycoon Jay Gould apparently paid Thomas $100,000 in cash, bonds, and stock for the invention. Wow. How old was he when he sold that? 
I'm uh, not real clear on that. I I don't know. There wasn't really. Wow. Well, I mean, yeah. Pre-Menlo Park days. Yeah. yeah. Throughout the 20th century, Thomas Edison was considered to be the world's most prolific inventor. His final count for U.S. patents was 1,093 patents, including 1,084 utility patents and nine artistic designs. Some of his inventions include the telegraph, electric lighting and lamps, the vacuum, telephone, a secondary battery, electric railroad, phonograph, driving mechanism for cars, and like a ton more, obviously. Mm-hmm. The last two years of his life, he was in considerably poor health. He was over the age of 80 and suffering multiple ailments until August 1931 when he collapsed at his Glenmont home in New Jersey. He became housebound and steadily declined until his death on October 18, 1931. So, some fun facts that I found about Thomas Edison. His middle name was Elva and his family called him Al. His first two kids had the nicknames Dot and Dash. I think that's really funny. Morse code joke for you. He said the words to Mary had a little lamb as the first recorded voice on the phonograph. Mm -hmm. He suggested using the word hello as a telephone greeting. (laughs) He worked for Nikola Tesla. Ooh. He was hostile to traditional religion, but was not an atheist. He produced the first ever cat video. Wow. (laughs) That's That's for that's for you, Lauren. This is my favorite one. Lauren will appreciate this as well. He created creepy talking dolls. Oh, wow. Yeah. He, he like, made toy dolls and, yeah. yeah. I mean, getting back to the whole Tesla thing, I know Edison and Tesla uh, started despising each other at some point. Mm-hmm. And that uh, it was all over the difference between uh, alternating current and direct current electricity. With uh, Edison being a proponent of AC and... Tesla being a proponent of DC, hmm. I believe. Maybe I got that flipped around. But anyway, that's why he electrocuted the elephant to show the dangers of uh, of, of of Tesla's um, electricity. Oh, all right. like, Look, it's, it's so bad it could kill an elephant on film. That's crazy. His last words were, "It is very beautiful over there." So I found a pretty neat article on the Henry Ford um, Henry Ford Museum. And I'm going to read it because it's really, I think it's really cool. And it, like, I don't know, when I read it, I kind of, like, see this. Mm -hmm. And if you've never been to the Henry Ford Museum, I highly recommend going. And I feel like if you've been there and then after, like, I'm so tired. How am I trying? What am I trying to say? I feel like if you've been to the Henry Ford, as I'm reading this article you can kind of see visualize it in your yeah you can really see like what was happening and it was Mm -hmm. like it's really cool absolutely please if you've never been to the museum please 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 go it is such a fascinating place there's always something new and different to see in there it's just i love that place i closed my eyes and you know the first thing i visualized was what that machine that makes the little wax uh oscar meyer trucks oh yeah I, I love the Henry Ford Museum. It's a fantastic place. A jewel. A jewel of southeast Michigan. Yeah. All right. So the article is called Light's Golden Jubilee Honors Thomas Edison and Dedicates a Museum. On October 21st, 1929, Henry Ford hosted an elaborate celebration in Dearborn, Michigan in honor of his friend Thomas A. Edison. 
Known as Light's Golden Jubilee, the date marked the 50th anniversary of Edison's invention of the electric light. Ford also planned his event as a dedication of his own lasting tribute to Thomas Edison and to American innovation, the Edison Institute of Technology, now known as Henry Ford Museum of American Innovation, and Greenfield Village. Here, Henry Ford had moved the Menlo Park, New Jersey laboratory where the inventor made his discovery so many years before. The RSVPs for Light's Golden Jubilee began pouring into Ford Motor Company by early October 1929. Prominent businessmen like John D. Rockefeller Jr. and J.P. Morgan, scientist Marie Curie, inventor Orville Wright, and humorist Will Rogers were among those who enthusiastically accepted Ford's invitation to be part of the landmark event. At 10 a.m. that morning, President Herbert Hoover, Henry Ford, and Thomas Edison arrived at Smith's Creek Depot at Greenfield Village in a railroad car pulled by an 1858 steam-powered locomotive reminiscent of Edison's youth when he sold newspapers on Michigan's Grand Trunk Railroad line. Edison, Ford, and Hoover and their wives were met by invited guests that numbered more than 500. The crowd roared their approval and congratulations as Edison stepped from the train to begin the day's festivities. After the guests had been properly greeted and the throngs of media had gotten their quotes and photographs, Henry Ford gave Hoover a personal tour of the massive Ford Motor Company Rogue Industrial Complex five miles away. Rouge. Rouge. Rouge Industrial Complex. Okay. 82-year-old Edison retired to Ford's nearby Fairlane Estate to rest while the hundreds of guests gathered at the Clinton Inn now known as Eagle Tavern, to enjoy lunch, followed by afternoon horse and carriage tours of Greenfield Village. That evening, guests gathered at the museum, the front galleries of which had been hurriedly completed just in time for the celebration. Fine crystal chandeliers fitted with candles cast a soft glow about the rooms. NBC radio broadcaster Graham McNamee set the mood for the evening in a coast-to-coast live broadcast. Quote, imagine the checkered effect of black and white evening dress, the brilliant splashes of color provided by the uniforms of military attaches and the great stylists of Paris and Fifth Avenue. I have attended many celebrations, but I cannot recall even attempting to describe one staged in a more perfect setting. End quote. After a sumptuous banquet, Edison, Ford, and Hoover went to the reconstructed Menlo Lab in Greenfield Village to recreate the lighting of the first electric lamp. There, Edison and Francis Gell, his former assistant, both went to work, much like they had half a century earlier, preparing to forever change the world. As they worked, McNamee narrated to a hushed world, Mr. Edison has two wires in his hand. Now he is reaching up to the old lamp. Now he is making the connection. It lights! Light's golden jubilee has come to a triumphant climax. As the connection was made in the Menlo Lab, the museum building was bathed in light and the museum's replica of the Liberty Bell peeled for the first time. Overhead, a plane flew by with the word Edison and the dates 79 and 29 illuminated under the wings. Car horns sounded, lights flashed on and off, and the world bathed itself in an electric light tribute to Edison. Worldwide publicity of the Light's Golden Jubilee event encouraged Americans from coast to coast and people around the world to to participate in the celebration. People huddled around their radios, plunged into near darkness using only candles or gas lamps for light, waiting for Edison's successful recreation as a cue to turn on their lights as part of the celebration. Small towns and large cities put on elaborate light displays. After the reenactment, Ford, Hoover, Edison, and Jell 
returned to the museum to hear accolades from President Hoover, a radio address by Albert Einstein broadcast from Germany, and Edison's heartfelt remarks. Henry Ford, not wishing to steal the spotlight from his friend, did not speak or allow photographs at the evening ceremony. This event was just the beginning. Ford's tribute to Edison and to American innovation and inventiveness was a lasting one. The artifacts and buildings Ford gathered for his indoor and outdoor museums, now known collectively as the Henry Ford, have told stories of American innovation, ingenuity, and resourcefulness for 90 years. They will continue to inspire countless countless generations to come. I think the most amazing part is thinking about um, back when, when the country was so unified that they would do stuff like that. Like, oh... We're going to have yeah. lights golden jubilee tonight. All right, kids, come around. Turn off the lights. Yeah. Turn off the damn light. I was kind of Bring thinking the that. candles. I was kind of thinking that, too. Like, the the fact that not just people in this country, but people all over the world were, yeah. were paying attention and were basically participating in this massive event mm-hmm. all at the same time is such a, just a really cool, I don't know, I just feels really neat you know yeah and like i don't know i just love that story like i can still i can picture it in my mind and it's a shame that there's not photographs yeah. you know i mean there's a few photographs but there's not photographs of that that last moment and there's not photographs of the evening ceremony and so it's one of those things that's just kind of lost to to history you know and so you can hear you can hear stories about it and but it's like there's no documentation of it yeah. other what, than other than you know written word i wonder if any of those reports like the radio reports are archived anywhere i don't know i mean if they are they'd, they'd be at the museum for He's sure reaching his arms up with a wire in each hand it's so cool i just man that's awesome dateline dearborn michigan <laughs> so that's the story of thomas ederson at the Thomas Edison in Michigan. Yeah. Now, I said it earlier, but um, I don't know. They're really they're, like Thomas Edison's last breath is like capped in a little vial and kept in Henry Ford Museum. Hmm. I always found that crazy because it's like, how do you know it was really his last breath? Yeah. Like, like he was on his deathbed and he just, you know, all right, this one's it. Give me the tube. Yeah. You know, I wonder if it was just, you know. I don't know. Hard, hard Henry telling. Ford's sitting there, kind of holding it under his nose while he's, yeah. while his lips are turning blue. I mean, the and then thing just is, puts a cap on it. It's like that's it. That's his last breath. He was in a coma, and they said that he was in and out of the coma for several hours. Mm-hmm. And then he said, "It's very beautiful." He like woke up. He said, "It's very beautiful over there." And then, shortly thereafter, he was gone. That sounds like me every morning when I wake up. So, it's yeah, it's a weird thing to think that they somehow have his last breath. I don't I don't know anything about that. Yeah, I but, always wondered how they did that. But yeah, he um yeah. And he was not a big fan of, of Michigan. Well, I mean, you know, I, I jumped down his throat at the beginning of the show. I was a little mad, but then when you consider the fact that he got his, his block knocked off by uh by a grown man on a train mm-hmm. who just, you know, tried to take his head off with a kick. Yeah. Not only that, but think about, you know, he he couldn't go to he couldn't go to school because teachers didn't know how to deal with him. So mm-hmm. so this is a child who 
probably I, had, you know, undiagnosed ADD because yeah. they didn't know what it was. He probably had some form of anxiety. You know, he was probably clearly he was highly intelligent. And so they didn't know what to do with them. So he was just kind of cast off right. to the side and left to his mother to teach him. And she also had six other children to deal with. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, you've got this this brilliant child that nobody really has any idea what to do with. You know, yeah, of course he didn't like it here. I hate to say it, you know, this was before video games. So he had to find a way to entertain himself. Mm-hmm. So naturally he's doing experiments, building things, right. And learning. Right, yeah. And I mean... You know, if it wasn't for Thomas Edison, would we even be doing a, a podcast? You know, all of the stuff that we're sitting in front of here. I now understand why you turned that light on. You know, the show. we've got everything that we're we're doing. We we do we do so much stuff on a daily basis that we don't even really think about. Right. We're just like, yeah, this has always just been the way that it is. But this little person, I mean, he was very young when he was experimenting and yeah. and inventing stuff. You know. Right whether he was 12 or 15 or 18 or 20 even, like he's been inventing since he was a child. I mean, it's all true. And now because of him and, you know, maybe maybe his hatred for Port Huron is what drove him to find other things to do with his time. That's why and he invented the airplane to get out of Port Huron. <laughs> right. Hey, Alexa, where would you be without Thomas Edison? No, you're darn right you don't. <laughs> the answer's nowhere. So that's the story of Thomas Edison in Michigan. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Neat. I didn't want to bring up the elephant, but you've talked about it. The elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. It had to. Well. As we know, Michigan is an elephant graveyard. It is. Although I believe he killed that elephant in New Jersey. I was going to say, he didn't do it in Michigan He anyway, crossed state so. lines to kill that elephant. Wow. Back in Menlo Park. The Wizard of Menlo Park, they knew him as. Yeah. Thomas Edison, the Wizard of Menlo Park. Alrighty, well, that's the story of Thomas Edison in Michigan. So, I hope you guys have a great, I forgot what holiday it was. Labor Day. Labor Day. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Be safe. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye.